Welcome to the Comedian's Wife Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Clausen. Join my husband, stand-up comedian Leland Clausen, and I as we chat with guests about marriage, family, work, and everything in between. On today's episode, we have best-selling author and speaker Gary Thomas, along with his wife, Lisa. Can I say something before you even ask the first question? Because uh, Gary and I used to, to travel together, right? That's, that's our connection. So how he handled traveling and how I handled traveling <laughs> is probably a little, a little different. But yeah, so sorry. Go ahead. So Gary, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, I have been a writer and speaker for most of my adult life. It took a few years to set it up, but um, about 20 years or so I've been that. So I've been on the road. I'm a certified million miler flyer on United. Um, so you, you still have your miles? I lost all my miles <laughs> like last year with Air Canada. It got too hard and I switched to Southwest. Oh, really? Well, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. sort of wed to them. I'm like, over, yeah, a million and a half now. Wow. Um, and they're not often one of the carriers that has the best ratings. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll ever see him again. But but like Leland, I, I kind of lived on the road for many years. I'd say, uh, you know, at least 100 nights a year, most years. Some wow. years, probably considerably more than that. Not too many years would be less than that. Uh, when our kids were young. I'd say 85% of that, I was on my own. Since we became empty nesters, Lisa goes with me about 85% of the time. So that's been really fun. I think one of the best things mm. about being empty nesters is that uh, we're, we're traveling together most of the time. If it's Peoria in February, not so much. If it's New York in <laughs> April pre-COVID, she's going to be with me. If it's Hawaii, absolutely. Right. So, Lisa, do you do you go jogging with Gary every time he gets to a place and has to do his run? Are you running not, too? Not. I am not a runner, and that is a common <laughs> question that I get. Um, no, I don't run, but I do investigate places for him to run. And so he would be the one who oh. would leave the hotel parking lot and go run wherever he is, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah. Even if I'm not with him, I'll put in the notes. If you drive down here, you can find this trail, and it goes this many miles along this river, whatever. So, I walk, I bike, I like to run bike in weird cities, um, but I don't run. So, you, so while he's running, you're getting mental exercise by telling him where to run. Yeah, well, <laughs> is that <laughs> Lisa has a literal psychological aversion to hotel rooms. <laughs> I feel like it's Leland, but when I'm getting ready for an event and I'm recovering for an event, I can just crash in the hotel room. I'm watching sports, yeah. opening up yeah. a book, watching something on Netflix or something. Lisa's yeah. like, a, she can't stand to be in a hotel room if we're not sleeping. Really? It means I need to up my husbandly <laughs> skills, I guess, in other areas. But she's not sleeping, she doesn't <laughs> want to be in the room. And so it, it does get me out a whole lot more since we travel together mm. because she's like, I, I get awesome. dumb from an event and I've got two hours before I've got to be there in the evening. She goes, you know what? There's this thing that if we can get there in 13 minutes, we'll have an hour and 43 <laughs> minutes and we get back and um, brush our teeth and we're good to go. It's, uh, I did notice and Carrie, because uh, in this last year, Carrie has started to, to travel with me a little bit more or like when we were traveling. <laughs> in the old days before a pandemic um but it was hard for me at first yeah 
Like I'm still. I, I stressed him out. I don't even know. I I tried not to even <laughs> talk too much because I was worried that it would. <laughs> you make it sound terrible. I don't Stop know. talking. I, he just was stressed, and I wasn't uh, sure why. So. It's it's because I'm so used to just taking care of me, and then when I have to worry about somebody else, it actually stressed me out to to be a caregiver. But I had to keep sorts. telling him, I'm I'm fine. I could actually travel by myself. I don't need <laughs> you. I'll I'll be okay. Yeah, so, I, th- I, yeah think I think we worked through it a that's little. That's what hits me is that I, I so many years I just think about how I prep and how I recover because I'm an introvert in an extrovert's job. Mm-hmm. And it did become different with Lisa traveling with me. It's like, okay, how do I make sure she's not too bored? How do I not be the bum husband here? Um yeah, I, I think I think I kind of felt that, but I like having her with me. Uh, for one thing, I know I have a more pleasant seatmate on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plenty of room next to me. She's not a big girl. <laughs> well, and ninety of the details you don't have to think about. I'm like, okay, we're with Enterprise, yeah, yeah. and here's the address. And oh, this time and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're traveling on your own, you've got it on a piece of paper and you have to figure it out. But, but I have to eat healthy. Yeah, that is a big no. issue when we're together. He'll be like, look, there's Applebee's and Olive Garden. We have choices. I'm like, look, there's nowhere to eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to eat healthy on the road, isn't it? Yeah, I usually pack things for my own breakfast because um, I can't do hotel, you know, yeah. before you breakfast. Then, um, yeah. yeah. The continental breakfast? <laughs> Make stops at grocery stores and just pick stuff up fresh. Yeah. I, I'm worse than uh, an Applebee's and, and a Olive Garden is a step up for me. <laughs> Leland's like McDonald's, but okay, I'll make it we, healthy with no bun <laughs> or no fries. Maybe. No, no fries. I still have a bun. <laughs> I just, there's lettuce. Lisa's shaking her head right now. There's lettuce on the Big Mac. <laughs> so okay. you guys, where do you live and how many kids do you have? I've kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Where, where are you guys? Where's home for you? Houston, Texas now, but we moved here after our kids have finished high school. So this is not okay. home for any of them. Um, we've got three adult children, uh, two girls and a boy and one grandbaby. So how old were they when you moved to Houston? Um, well, the youngest had just graduated from high school and then two and a half years. And so one was like a sophomore in college and one had her one more year of college left. So, okay. Yeah. Well, so they were still living at home. So that's why they were able to move with they you. They did not move with us. Oh, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Oh. No, um, no, they all went to, to, I mean, they would come home, I guess. Well, Kelsey, Kelsey went to a school here in, in well, Baylor. So a couple hours mm-hmm. away from Houston for the first year. But then she transferred up to Portland, Oregon, University of Portland. Um, Allison already had her life still in the Northwest. So she didn't move with us. And uh, Graham was... He never came home in the summer. No. He was in school in Indiana. He was, so. Yeah. I mean, he would do internships in the summer and stuff like that. So, so we've had all of them for little bits and pieces, but not a lot. Um, yeah. So what about, uh, what about grandkids? Where are your grandkids? Uh, our baby granddaughter is in New York City. She just turned... Oh, wow. Oh, so you have kids and... Yeah, you've got family all over the country. Yeah. And our youngest. That's amazing. Yeah. Our wow. oldest is actually here in Houston with us right now. So that's nice. But she's oh, back nice. to the Northwest. So when the kids were younger, Gary was traveling. Yeah. 
So how did you cope with that? You weren't able to go as much. Obviously, you're a little more grounded yeah. with the kids. Yeah. Um, I think a number of ways. Um, we had an interesting meeting with one of Gary's professors who's who traveled a lot. And his wife just told me, I have my life with Jim and I have my life without Jim. And I thought that was so sad and weird. But when Gary started traveling a lot, I think I got it in that there were things we did, adventures we had, routines that were different and tried to make it so that it wasn't always just a negative that dad was gone. It means, you know, we're having breakfast for dinner or I had a friend whose husband traveled even more and we always had one meal together when Gary was gone um, with her kids. So just different things to look forward to, different ways of doing things and trying not to um, paint it as a negative for them all the time. Right. Um, and then the positive side was because we actually homeschooled when they were younger, sometimes he took a child with him. Sometimes we would do school on Saturday so we could all be with him on Monday when he got home. Um, oh, we were able to, to do the routine a little bit differently. Um, I think I wasn't always that great about, um, I guess, just considering what life for him was like on the road, I was more focused on what I had been through while he was gone. And every now and then I would take a trip with him. And instead of like pleasure, travel, exotic places, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so tiring. This is work. And, and <laughs> I wasn't even getting up to speak. And so I think just learning that empathy by walking in his shoes was helpful. Yeah. Right. We had a, did you find, go ahead, Gary. Sorry. We had a counselor one time that talked about how I got me time on the plane. <laughs> uh, I, Leland, I, so you, you've lived on a plane, Leland. I thought, mm -hmm. well, you know, if you're not traveling first class, it's we time. I mean, it's <laughs> you with strangers and people that don't bathe and brush their teeth and are annoying. <laughs> You talking about me time? I go, this is not, not what I choose for me time. And, and, and I do think it was helpful when she started traveling with me because I think she could imagine, especially with me being an introvert, just the mental and physical exhaustion yeah. of getting to a place, getting on stage, often not sleeping, but you got to get up and you got to perform because it's like, it's like, yeah. Leland, I'm, I'm the show in one sense. Right. Um, and so yeah. if, well, if, if I'm not providing the energy, it's, it's, not there. And when the kids were little, he was traveling without a cell phone. Even oh, yeah. the early days, mm. even without a garment. So we had the added stress. Like if I would travel with him, we're trying to figure out directions. It's paper maps. Aren't really <laughs> or you get in late and it's dark and you're reading printed off directions in the dark or whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of stresses that I was able to see. Because I would always go with him like once or twice a year when they were little. So um, I think that's... So did Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, did you guys find that like there's an adjustment period for when he got home? It's like we have our routine. It's in place. Oh, now he's home. Hang on. Now it's difficult again, even though we're glad to see him. I, now we've got to adjust and he's wrecked our routine. So we've got to do the new routine. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But his trips were short and frequent. It wasn't like a deployment mm. or something where... Life is completely different, and then he's just there. Um, it was usually, you know, like Thursday through Sunday. Yeah, two to four days at a time, mm. and mm. so it wasn't really long enough for us to be um, a family without Gary. I guess. 
But I, I, I think the challenges were that I would come home and, and and Lisa would see me come home and we both had our own agendas. <laughs> I, I would want to recover and Lisa's thinking, okay, I made it. Now Gary can take over. Um, mm-hmm. And things right. would go on the house. And so there might be a list of, okay, we need this done, that done. And I, I just remember one time thinking, oh. just tell me what doesn't need to be fixed. Uh, so that I could just save my time. And, and I'd feel sorry for myself. I'm thinking, man, I just, this is my one day off and I'm hugging the toilet and um, <laughs> trying to fix a leak, you know, not because I drank too much. So <laughs> it, it was just because we didn't, we didn't have the resources for Lisa to get things fixed when I was gone. Uh, so it, it was a tough time because I mean, we, you know, money was tight. The kids were small. You have limited amount of energy. Um, and, and I don't know if you know what it's like. I mean, I know you know what this is like. You know, just traveling from the West Coast where we did for so long because we were in Bellingham, Washington. Yeah. It, it's exhausting coming back from the West Coast because you can – from the East Coast, you can make it in. But yeah. you get in at 11 or 12, well, that could be 2 or 3 a.m. body clock time. Yeah. And then getting out there, you lose a couple hours. It's it's not easy traveling from the West Coast. So it was it was pretty tough early on. Yeah, I think one, I don't know if it was a turning point or not, but kind of a big um, breakthrough for me. And I, I can't, honestly can't remember. I probably read this summer. I don't think it was original, but maybe it was. But I, I got a lot of people always saying, oh, you're a single parent. Oh, you're a single parent. And I played into that in my mind a lot. And then it was like, you know what? No, because I have somebody out there who's earning money for us right now. I'm not putting them to bed and having to get up and go earn the money in the morning. And I have somebody who's praying for them every day and talking to them on the phone most days and is going to come home and play with them. And no, I'm not a single parent. And so that was a bit of a mind change for me to not just because so many people would say that all the time and then you'd feel sorry for yourself or something. And it said that made me so grateful that I had that and that I had someone I could discuss discipline with and, you know, uh, right. Yeah. So that was a big mind changer for me. I think I'm glad that you said that. I actually, it was the same thing for me. I was kind of going along and and it's hard with little kids, no matter, I think what you're doing, (laughs) but, um, I felt the same way. I thought, well, I'm okay. And then everybody just kept saying to me, oh, this must be so hard. It must be so hard. And then yeah, after a while, I'm like, this is really hard. <laughs> and I do feel sorry for myself. But then exactly that, that um, single moms don't have someone that comes home at the end of the week or in a, even in a few weeks and and helps out and, and just see it, the, the parent, the other parent being able to speak into disciplinary things and, and just any kind of conversations that it's not maybe we raised two boys, so it's not always easy as a mom to talk about some of the stuff. And so just being able to give that to their dad and, and yeah, it's huge. Um, one thing I kind of struggled with was, um, I found that I, I didn't want to do anything fun while Leland was away because it just felt, I felt bad. It was like, no, we, we're not a full family unless dad's here. And so I would keep putting off things and, and we'd try and do it when dad was there, but, Sometimes that didn't happen. So I, or I, or I was grouchy when I got home, hardly any sleep. Not, he was exhausted. And I just ruined the moment. But so I do feel like we put some stuff off and maybe didn't do as much as we would have normally because of that. Did you guys find that at all? I think 
as homeschoolers, a lot of our fun was built into the homeschool day. And we lived in Northern Virginia in those early years. And so we were doing field trips and a lot of museums group activities and, and museums. Yeah. And um, so I don't think so. I mean, if I thought it was something Gary was really going to enjoy, maybe, but there's just a lot of things that he would come on because we were doing it as a family and not necessarily because he thought it, he was super excited about it. So um, <laughs> I think I did. I think I did. Okay. In that. Gary, when did you find time to write all these, you wrote more books than I've read. I think. Yeah. <laughs> when, when do you have time? If you, when you're traveling and then homes, family time, when were you writing? Yeah. Well, look, I just, I, I love to write. I'm definitely, I, think a writer that speaks rather than a speaker that writes. Sometimes people try to compliment me, say, you know, you're an even better speaker than you are a writer to encourage me after a talk. And it's not a compliment <laughs> to me because I just get so much more out of writing. And so when you look forward to something, so basically it was before everybody was awake. In fact, when, okay. when the kids were at their youngest, we lived in this tiny, tiny home and my office was a corner of an already small master bedroom. And I had to angle the computer so I didn't wake up Lisa because she's sleeping <laughs> four feet away from the screen. Uh, and I would do the bulk of my heavy thinking and writing before anybody was awake because there just wasn't room or uh -huh. quiet otherwise. But I, I look forward to that. I enjoyed it. Um, sometimes I can write on a plane if there's not somebody next to me when they're yeah. next to you, they're reading your screen. And it's not just paranoid. They'll talk to you about it. <laughs> I had a guy say, I hope you'll send me that book when you get out. I'm and then they're, they're That's awesome. sort of asking me questions about, I mean, it was just like, it just really becomes <laughs> creepy. You, you can't, they're, they're going to read if they're next to you. So, um, but I, I, you're such an introvert. <laughs> uh, so you're such an introvert. You know, finding time to write for me is, uh, it, it's just not, that big a deal. And it's never been a discipline. Oh, I have to write. It's writing. Oh, okay. Speaking, I'd say speaking will drain me. Yeah. But writing things. I don't mind speaking, but I have to recover from speaking. That's why I would go back to the hotel room and just crash. Uh, writing gets me up. So if you guys were talking to a young couple that was just starting out, what would be the best thing that you guys did and what would be the one thing that you would want to go back and, and do differently when it comes to raising your kids while you're traveling? I, was, I, can I talk think one story. of the best things we did was sending the kids and we probably didn't do this often enough, but when we could, if he was driving, especially we could afford it uh, with them just to see what dad does and they would have mm. the book table or whatever. Um, give them a little empathy and glimpse into his life. Um, I think that was a good thing. What I would recommend, if you're, if are you talking, Carrie, about a couple that travels or just couples yeah. in general? Yeah, for a couple, I think a couple that couples that travel. I would, I would sit both of them down and say, I want you to tell her your expectations and your hopes and dreams for when you come home, or reverse it if it's the woman coming home, and then I would say to the one staying at home. What are your expectations and then what are your hopes and dreams for when you're the one at home and, and your spouse comes home? Because I think for Lisa and I, we, we had those. You, it's impossible not to, but we never verbalized them. And, and so I think mm. there were years of frustration and that always risked going into bitterness. Like I've been on the road and, you know, 
you know, I just being a Christian, I, I, I want to be faithful and everything. And so I have these dreams of my wife whisking me away. The kids are out of the house and we have this great romantic reunion. And so I come home and, you know, in the middle of laundry doing vacuuming right. kids all over. Nothing's happening tonight. And, um, <laughs> but I didn't give her a chance. I don't think. And so I, I would say That's to both parties, it's not. I, you just, just, you may not be able to do it. And you may say that's, that's an expectation that's never going to happen. And that's a dream you're going to have to wait on, but at least get it out there and communicate. Mm. I think I was afraid of being selfish or sounding selfish, but I think if you're going to resent it and be frustrated by it, it's, it's better to speak it than to hope your spouse just gets it. What, what really helped me was I, I remember talking with a friend of mine one time and it was after one of those times where I came back and it had just been a brutal trip. I was exhausted and the kids were young and Lisa had just a long list of things she needed me to get done. And kind of just at, at the door when I got in, I said to him, I just don't think Lisa realizes what it's like as an introvert to travel, to have to perform, change time zones. And, and he said, of course she doesn't. He goes, and it's ridiculous for you to expect her. If nobody's done it, they can't imagine what it's like. They don't know what it's like to travel. Yeah. They don't know what it's like to get up in front of a group. They don't know what it's like as an introvert then to, to, to glad hand and small talk people afterwards and then get back on a plane and maybe have a talkative person next to you. He goes, how could she? And, and he goes, that's on you for thinking that she could just get that. And, and I kind of needed that strong word. He said, it's, it's not a fair of Lisa that she could just get it if you don't help her understand what's going on. Right. I just realized that I, I do that to you all the time. I, I, I want you to, to like, without telling you specifically, that's a part of something that means so much to me is that I want you to figure that out because that shows <laughs> that you care and that's totally not fair. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. You got me. Yeah. 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 Although, but you're a very good communicator. Like, I feel like you did tell me when you're unhappy with things <laughs> quite often. You mean I complain a lot. Is what you're basically saying? I complain a lot. No, but I, but I do what Gary was saying. Like, it maybe it's not always something you can actually deliver on. Right. But, but, I, but I did know, I think. <laughs> you didn't know that you couldn't deliver. <laughs> if Lisa had said to me, this is why I can't deliver or why I couldn't this time, then I could go, oh. And it's not anger right. or bitterness. It's like, oh, well, that that makes sense. Because I don't know what her life is either. She said, you know, two of the kids had an earache. One had this. The dog did that. I'm like, oh, well, okay. That makes sense. So, yeah, I, I just think the failure to communicate, and I, I have to own that, um, didn't help things. And so I would just say to the younger couple, over-communicate. <laughs> so I've always felt like, um, having a spouse on the road that there's things in your marriage that are, are common problems that people have or common issues. And, but I feel like when you're on the road, it kind of magnifies them a bit. So you might have a communication problem in your marriage, but you don't really notice it. But if you're traveling, it's a big void in your relationship. I, I just really felt like communication was so important to us. And, um, really something we had to really work on. We couldn't ignore the fact that we 
we struggled with something like that. You know what I mean? Like it just, it was so important. I think I felt like Gary was getting ready to go somewhere or decompressing from having been somewhere. Mm, but then he's true. getting ready to go somewhere. So it felt like there was never a good time yeah, to ask fair. him to do something, yeah. to talk about something. It was kind of like, oh, I shouldn't do that. You know, and so that's fair. That's I think true. that was part that that's me. That, that describes that me as too. well. Yeah. And the worst, the absolute worst, the biggest mistake is if there's unresolved conflict and you gotta go. And so you're both just thinking about it and you've got a lot of long yeah. time and downtime. And I'd say you got to keep short accounts if you're traveling. You don't want to go on the road with unresolved yeah. conflict because then it just festers. But I, I, I think that was the biggest challenge. I think Lisa nailed it, that I always did feel like I was preparing to go somewhere or recovering. There were very few days where I just was chill. Time in between, yeah that way now in the morning you're busy writing so i don't want to you know oh can we do this or look at this or work on this and then in the afternoon or evening you're tired yeah. <laughs> so it's all <laughs> so what do you do do you guys carve out kind of date nights <laughs> or what do you do and we haven't solved it yet but it's you know, part <laughs> is, i love I that you exp- i know from talking about your schedule pre-covid well, the problem is most people who travel, I find, I might take a day off a week. I mean, I aim for it, but I probably usually would only get one. Some weeks I wouldn't. It was so unusual before COVID hit that I would have a two-day weekend. And I would try to guard those because I would be tired. So there really wasn't a good time. I mean, I love my life. I love that I get to do what I love to do. But it is a busy life. And then I'm sure Leland has the same thing when you're down, you still have to be creating more material. You know, I I mean, it's once you've given your stuff one time, you got to come up with something else or find a new audience. Mm -hmm. And so you're always thinking, but that is the one nice thing about traveling together is I get more material. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) That is so true. If you don't mind, I want to really talk about um, Gary's book, Cherish and, Leland why, was Carrie? Of... Is there something that you want me to get from this? Is that why? <laughs> no, it's. It is was, that why you've been pushing this so it much? Spoke to me, but he was teasing me because um, Gary's written so many books, and this wasn't even your latest one, <laughs> but but it's the one that I just read, and it was profound for me because Gary, I didn't realize I got the love part down. I understand loyalty. I understand commitment. I understand all the things that you kind of associate with love. And I'll maybe get you to talk about this more, but, but I, in the, within the first few chapters, I was like, oh my goodness, I've never understood Cherish before, which it's, it's in a lot of- never cherished Leland, (laughs) is what she's saying. It sounds terrible. But can you just quickly go over for people that haven't read the book, what's the difference between love and Cherish? You know, Carrie, my experience was similar to yours. Uh, on on wedding day, we say, I promise to love and to cherish until death do us part. And I don't know if I even thought about the word for 30 years after that. I got the love part down. I focused on love. I wrote about love. I spoke about love. And then just God brought the word cherish back to my mind that I made this promise to my wife. Would I figure out what it meant so that I could keep it? And I felt like Lisa and I already had a pretty good marriage, but I, I think it, it 
raised the bar for me. You know, love speaks of what you said, sacrifice, service, commitment, loyalty, perseverance, hanging in there. But that would just focus me on my obligations. Cherishing is a focus on my spouse's excellence, beauty, worth, things to celebrate. So instead of her feeling like I'm with her because I made a promise 35 years ago and I can't find a reason <laughs> to break it, it's that I learned to delight in her and want to show her off and celebrate the best in her. And 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 people who haven't read the book don't understand, but, but in the book, I'm trying to give people tools to do that. How do you start looking at your spouse that way? How do you maintain it even though your spouse according to James 3, 2, stumbles in many ways. How do you develop the mindset? What practices can you do to build a cherishing attitude? And because I've, I've written a lot for singles and, you know, the real challenge of infatuation, neuroscientifically, we know that it lasts 12 to 18 months. It starts out white hot and then it dies. And even then at 14 months under a scope, an infatuation and a brain scan looks very different than infatuation at seven months. So it's dying almost as soon as it starts. But cherishing is something you can choose, you can build, you can do the three steps forward, two steps back, go forward again. And, and so for me, it was just another, another bar so that I can say, yeah, love is good. I'm not talking it down at all. But if I set the bar at cherish, Maybe I'll reach a little bit higher. And even if we don't get there, we're going to be better off than settling for something much lower. So it just gave me a new vision of what marriage could be like. Yeah, I really loved it. And I loved that Lisa wrote a little forward at the beginning, just saying that you, Gary, really actually excel at that in your marriage. And I think that's pretty awesome. It's, I kind of equate it to when you go to the gym and your instructor, instructor is clearly not in shape. And so you kind of, <laughs> as you're doing the exercise, you're like, why do I want to be in this class? I don't want to look like that person. <laughs> I want to be. And so I just love that, that you don't just write about it and tell us how to do it, but you live it. That's also super mean. <laughs> well, I, have, I have to admit, I've actually thought that more than once. Sometimes the instructors are like really muscly and they're big. And it's like, I don't actually want to have arms like, that look like footballs. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't have arms. Uh, I mean, I, but I don't have biceps, I guess you could say, because I like to run. So I've done a bunch of marathons and I've got into some new groups. When I got in Houston and one where I knew it wasn't the group for me, the leader was saying, yeah, I hope I don't walk in my next marathon. And I, I've done a dozen marathons. I got, what are you coaching me if you're walking? Exactly. I don't want right? me to walk during a marathon. So I, same way. You want the coach to at least be better than you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Let me take the lead in this class today. <laughs> There's so many things about this book that I'd love to talk to you about, sure. but we're not going to be able to get through them. People are just going to have to read the book. <laughs> but would you mind just going over, um, oh, I don't know, maybe the eight practical ways that we can train ourselves to do this? Because uh, I just really felt like um, Leland's a stand-up comedian, right? We all know that. They are just typically a little more needy than the average Joe, I think. <laughs> and if I would have figured this out a long time ago, I, it would have never would have married me. <laughs> no, no, no. If I would have figured out how to better cherish him, I think it would have been a game changer in our marriage. And I wish that, um, 
I would have heard, read it a long time ago, but um, but I haven't, and it's probably going to take a while for Leland to see the benefit of me reading this book. But could you go over just the eight practical ways that we can train ourselves to choose? And I love that it's a choice that we make, right? Not a feeling. <laughs> it's a choice to cherish our spouse. Okay, so number one, use your mind to change your heart. What do you mean by that? There's a, a familiar Bible verse, Philippians 4, 8, that says, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of celebration, think about those things. Um, and I, I, I use another verse, Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I, I like that renewing of your mind that we can think our way into our feelings. And, and I think especially for guys, sometimes that's the easiest way to feel is to to think about what is excellent. They've done some studies where you can have a good marriage and think it into the gutter within two years. If you're always thinking negatively, if you're always focusing on your spouse's faults. And Carrie, here's the challenge. Every spouse has plenty of faults to focus on. And most spouses have some strengths to focus on. And so the key to cherishing your spouse is to choose to think about what is good, what is lovely, what is worthy of praise, and, and even what is true. Earlier on in our marriage, I think what hurt Lisa and I is we would have assumptions. You did that to hurt me, or you did this deliberately. And often that wasn't true. The other didn't have a clue what was going on. So it's just choosing to think about what you want to celebrate. One of the things I did to help me with that uh, was I kept a journal for a year. It had a blank page every day. And I just wrote down that day something Lisa had done that I wanted to thank her for or something that I just appreciated about her. So at the end of the year, I had 365 things that she had done in the last year or things that I could celebrate. And I was training myself every day to think up at least one positive thing that Lisa did that day that I could cherish her for. Uh, because we tend to just get it. The, the biggest issue in our marriage is that we tend to become familiar with our spouse's strengths and take it for granted. And we mm -hmm. become sensitive to everything that disappoints us. And it, you know, it's helpful for me as a pastoral counselor, as a guy who talks on marriage, because I see some wives married to guys that are just like hall of fame husbands, right? I mean, everything they're doing. And those wives can still have as much negativity because they forget. They think every husband provides a lifestyle this guy has provided. Every husband keeps himself from addiction. Every husband gives time up for his wife. And, and, mm. they don't, and, and then I talked to another wife before that. And if just one of those things were true about her husband, she would be over the top excited. You mean I don't have to work three jobs? He's going to get one job so I can just go down to one? I mean, that alone would make her thrilled about her husband. But it's just, I, I just found the mental battle is universal, regardless of how strong your spouse is. It's a universal temptation to focus on what is good as status quo, so it doesn't count, and what's disappointing as what you focus on most clearly. I think the mental thing, too, is um, the Philippians passage helps phantom fights where you're not even together and you're playing out the fight in your head and, <laughs> and instead like no stop right here okay what's true 
what's lovely and just to be able to to break that with that awesome i love that okay number two sacrifice for your spouse you know when uh, our carrie needs a lot of help on this (laughs) actually i I don't like to give up anything nothing (laughs) when i see when our church does things that it celebrates the military, like Memorial Day or July 4th or something, uh, Canadians, July 4th is our day of independence. Uh, but, you know, you have, you have Canada Day, too. So whatever the right. case may be. Those are the ones who start to weep when they see the flag. Because a lot of them really did sacrifice. Some of them risked their lives. And because they sacrifice, the country's become more precious to them. It's the same principle why they often say, don't buy your kid their first car. Make them save up for it, and they'll cherish it more. If it's just given to them, we've all known kids that got these really nice, brand-new cars. I had a friend in high school for her 18th birthday. Her dad gave her a brand-new Corvette. So, you know, but then guys get uh, – you know, uh, a Ford Focus, but they saved up for it and they cherish that. And so when you purposely sacrifice for your spouse, instead of thinking about why can't I get this, it just does something to your heart and mind that you cherish someone you sacrifice for. Hmm. It's just, I think it's just a psychological, spiritual principle. If you want to appreciate, I know it sounds backwards and counterintuitive, but if you start to make sacrifices for your spouse while you're thinking positively of your spouse, it makes you cherish your spouse more. It doesn't have to be big sacrifices. I have a friend, he's from California, and this is back in the 90s when they'd have these big things they called Promise Keepers Conferences where they challenged men. Mm-hmm. And so the speaker said, men, we want you to do something practical for your spouse when you get back, for your wife. So one guy said, I'm going to wash my wife's car. And I said, she's been wanting me to install this program. And, and Kevin just sort of sat before the Lord and said, well, what, what could I do? And he felt like God asked him, well, what does Sherry, that's his wife, hate doing more than anything? And so that's easy. She hates making the bed. Okay, I got it. I will make the bed for the next week when I get back. And he felt like God said, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I want you to do it for the rest of your life. And I want you to pray for her <laughs> while you're making the bed. And so he's done that now over 4,000 mornings in a row. Leland, get this. He travels a lot too. And so he makes the hotel bed so that he can remember to pray for his wife as he's doing it. Oh, wow. Wow. It's just that kind of little sacrifice. I'm doing this. I'm taking away something that my wife hates to do and, and, and just, and she's precious to him because of it, I think in part. I have a magic car that never runs out of gas, for example. Oh, that's nice. Uh, do you hate gassing up your car? So do I. Yeah. Do you really? <laughs> I, like I didn't even know. <laughs> I guess I could add that to my list. I don't think I actually ever told him that. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's like, oh, what happened? <laughs> um, number three, hug liberally. Well, that's just brain science that hugging releases oxytocin. It makes you feel careful. And Lisa's insistent on that in the morning. <laughs> no, she is. That's the first thing she does in the morning. I, Cause I'm usually working a couple hours and she gets up and 
she'll come up and we have that hug and then at and I other said, times I could tell you you need this and he's like yeah right <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just simple and by hug I mean just if you hold it for 30 seconds it just does good things for your brain it's just a good thing to do hmm. number four need your spouse yeah that's where you don't want to this was surprising to me and it's been difficult for me. But the reality is if you will let yourself be vulnerable so your spouse can meet that need and then your spouse gets a chance to do that, it makes you cherish your spouse. I mean, does it make sense? Boy, I really needed this and, and they came through and helped provided it. And so it, it begins with, and this doesn't sound like I, I want to cherish my spouse. I'm telling my wife, this is what I need. Or I'm telling my husband, this would really help me out. But when couples have done that and then their spouse comes through, it's like, oh, it's, it's so much easier to cherish them. I really had this need. And I, I think I found that when, um, when I first started, when I was traveling for a while, I would do all of my own airfare and car rentals and hotels and all of that. Um, and then when I started traveling even more, Lisa realized this guy is underwater. And so when Lisa would say, Okay, I'm calling the airlines. And, and it was much more difficult back then. There wasn't a website. You would call five airlines, right? You'd call five rental car companies. And then you'd write down all the different time options and the different price options. And yeah. And, and when she started doing that, I was just like, oh, this is just so amazing because I did that. And then a little bit later in, as the kids got a little bit older, she started doing 100% our taxes. And I'm self-employed. So we have income coming in from a hundred sources, or at least before they shut down traveling, we did, but we'd have income coming in from all over. And my doing taxes was literally signing my name in March. And I'd always tell her, I've never loved you more than this, which I don't think she liked, <laughs> but, 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 but part of it was because I just realized how much time it would take mm -hmm. and her just doing that uh, was amazing. So number five, recognize your spouse's royalty. Uh, that that's getting into my um, just reading scripture, the Bible, where we were created to rule. That goes back from Genesis, um, and that in the future, I believe in eternity, we're called that we're going to be kings and queens and priests that will be ruling, and and just recognizing my wife's high place. Uh, in one sense, a king or a queen who's a jerk is still a king or a queen. And you can at least recognize the position. And we don't always act the best. I mean, I think the book is honest in that your spouse may not always be cherishable. <laughs> your spouse may not always be easy to cherish, but you got to respect the position. And when I understood who she is, uh, I believe in Christ, what God has created her to be, what she will be in eternity, um, that I could cherish that within her. That's just trying to, how do you learn to cherish an imperfect person in a fallen world. Because I, I realize it's a high ideal. I'm trying to keep the book as real as possible. Mm. Number six, make your spouse's dreams come true. That's where if you talk to your spouse, I've had some people do this, where one husband, his wife had always want to go to Europe and they didn't have a lot of resources and whatnot. Some have saved miles one just put away a little bit every month that his wife wouldn't notice so that on a big anniversary, like the 30th anniversary, 
he could just blow away. I know you've always wanted to see Italy. Mm. We're going. Um, and the thing is, it wasn't just the Italy trip that moved his wife's heart. It was him regularly giving up things to get that $50 a month. Mm. Maybe one less round of golf. Maybe keeping his golf clubs for another couple extra years. Uh, maybe not doing this or that or dropping a subscription on television or something. But it was the process of, I want to make my spouse's dreams come true. Um, I know a husband whose wife uh, was a, a photographer, but to take her business to the next level, she needed some new equipment and they had young kids and they just didn't have the money. And he really sacrificed to be able to give her the equipment so that she could succeed. And now she has, and her work can be on billboards, mm. but she'll never forget just the way she's describing it to me. I'll never forget the sacrifices my husband did to make my dream come true. This was my dream um, come true. Uh, number seven, watch and delight. That That's simply remembering that for me, I have this favorite picture of Lisa. That's right where I get dressed every morning. Uh, my, my screensaver has this picture of Lisa. They've shown it. If you have a favorite picture of your spouse, just taking the time to remind yourself of why the loveliness of your spouse, maybe it's their smile that you like. Maybe it's a serious moment where it makes you respect your spouse. Maybe it's something they're doing, but it's just taking a step back and saying, wow, to, to appreciate them. If you cherish something, if you cherish a sunset, you're not just looking at it and turning your eyes. You're just going, Wow. If you really like a piece of music, you know, you're nobody interrupting. You're just, you're closing your eyes and you're really trying to listen. So if I want to cherish my spouse, I have to take some time. And I think it's helpful to do that a little bit every day to really remind myself favorite things about my spouse and to watch for that. Okay. Last one, conserve your energy. If I make it a priority to cherish my spouse, I realize I've got a limited amount of mental and physical and emotional and relational energy. It's like this. If you were hired to be a professional basketball player and you had a playoff game on Saturday night and you ran a marathon Saturday morning, mm. your coach, what are you doing? You can't run a marathon in the morning and play a playoff game at night. And so if I care about too many things, if I'm overextending myself, I'm not going to be able to cherish my spouse. I really think one of the killers of marriage is weariness. We're too tired to care. Mm. We're too tired to serve each other. We're too tired to think about how to sacrifice for our spouse, how to think about our spouse, how to address issues in our marriage. And so I have to realize if this is really one of my life goals to cherish my wife, I might have to cut out other life goals because we can't do everything. And so if it's a priority... It means I've got to, I got to make it a priority. Love it. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on and sharing with us. It's just been such a great time talking to Thank, you. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, for talking with us today. It was it was fun. I'm Gary. I miss hanging out with you. I, I didn't I didn't realize that till now. <laughs> <laughs>